0: James Kandasamy.
1: Hey, audience and listeners. This is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Podcast, where we focus a lot on uh, value-add commercial real estate uh, investing. And we usually talk to commercial real estate operators who have been very active uh, buying deals nowadays. Today, I have Brian Murray. So if you have not heard about Brian Murray, he's the... um, author of the best-selling and award-winning uh, book, Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate. And he owns uh, almost 700 units uh, right now on his phone. And uh, I think out of 700, 600 of it is apartments and 100 units is on the office side. So, and um, hey, Brian, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to be here, James. Thanks for having me. Really happy to have you here. So tell me about how did you go from zero to six hundred multifamily, or uh, zero to seven hundred all op asset classes yeah. on your own without syndication?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I started twelve years ago, and um, I'm located in upstate New York. That's um, quite a bit different of a market than than uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, my my first my first property was an office building and it was a distressed office building okay. and um you know I from that very first deal I did a lot of value add mm-hmm. and 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 frankly I really didn't know what I was doing I was kind of figuring stuff out as I went along and um but I I you know I, I progressively made that property perform better over a couple of years and added a ton of value and um I, on that deal, I, I, um, assumed the mortgage. And on my second deal, I did an owner finance situation. It was another property that was half full. I filled it up and uh, refinanced out of both of those and bought three more properties and followed that path the entire way, which is find well-located properties that were not well-managed or had some other large value add component, uh, exercise that that value add and then refinance take cash out and buy more properties and and that that's the exact path that i followed to get to where i'm at today
1: that's crazy right so which is good i mean that's the model that Um, I mean, it's it's an absolute value-add model, which is basically the theme of this podcast. And so did you buy and then improve it and then refinance the money out or did you sell it? Uh, And I didn't get that part. Can you clarify that?
2: Yeah, so uh, refinance the money out. I am primarily buy and hold still to this day. Um, but especially in the first 10 years, um, I think I sold one or two, one or two properties, smaller properties for the most part at that during that time. And, um, I am selling some of my smaller properties right now to redeploy those funds into larger properties, but my strategy has really been buy and hold.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So before we go further, I want to clarify about your book, right? Crushing it. I mean, I remember asking this uh, question to you when we met face to face. So did Gary V take the crushing it name from you or you you took it from him? Which one is that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, so his book, Crushing It, came out about a year after mine. Oh, OK. Um, so but he he launched a book called Crush It. Um, OK prior to when mine came out, but yeah, okay. no, he, he, he took the crushing it and, uh, you know, but, uh, that's, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It's all good. So.
1: Well, it must be a good name because both of you are like a you know, bestseller, you know, in your own uh, domain. Right. So
2: awesome. yeah. Right.
1: So right now, what's your plan? Uh, I mean, you own this many units on your own and what's your plan right now?
2: So right now I'm I'm really focused on diversifying. And um, you know, I, I was really excited to do my first mastermind, which was last year, which is how you and I met. And and I uh you know, I I met some great people at that mastermind and and you know, I highly recommend that that to other people to surround yourself with other folks that are doing what you're doing. But when I went off to this mastermind, it was really eye opening for me because Pretty much everybody there was doing syndication, and it was a model that was really new for me. And I just learned a ton about what people were doing. And, you know, I, I, my model has worked great for me up to this point, but I've reached a size where growing purely organically is becoming more challenging to maintain that, that pace of growth. Um, I think also with um you know valuations at 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 a higher point it's it's more and more challenging each year to pull that much value add out uh with refis so uh, you know and I, and I think another factor that's come into play is I've been very very um dedicated to Putting every dollar that I've earned back into my real estate. I mean, it's been a been a big part of how I've done what I've done is to continuously reinvest back in. Um, you know, as a result of that, you know, to this point, I've lived in fairly frugally, and um, you know, at, at a certain point, you, you know, you you want to not have to put every dollar back back in. And but, um, you know, it, to maintain that growth rate, I've got to look at other options. I also want to uh diversify geographically because most of my properties are in one location and um so I'm I'm in the middle of my first uh syndication right now and um you know, I've I've met so many good people that now I'm developing partners and looking at new markets and it's very exciting for me I love to learn I love to try new things and and getting into these other markets and and you know meeting accomplished people like yourself it's very motivating and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm just super excited about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's, it's an eye, re, uh, eye opening when you go and talk to different people, you know, who's doing at the same level as you are doing much more higher level, right? Because you can see a different, different thought process and how people do things. Right. So, Yeah and and why why are you moving towards syndication i mean you own like so many units on your own um, you know can you go into a bit more detail on why do you think syndication is going to be beneficial for you right now in this uh, market cycle as well or in your investment cycle
2: well you know syndication it does open up a lot more opportunities in terms of size so okay. For example, right now I'm I'm looking very closely at an apartment complex that's uh, approximately 300 units. Uh, it's in a it's in a market that's new for me that I've been doing a lot of research on, and um, you know that that would be a real challenge to try to pull off on my own. It really really wouldn't be possible right now. So uh, the largest property that I've purchased. Um, strictly on my own without raising any outside money I did last year it was 126 units and um, you know it to try to, to try to purchase uh, something that's 300 plus units would be um, you no know, that, that wouldn't be possible for me right now so it's pretty exciting and I think another thing is I really enjoy working with with uh, the idea of doing some projects with partners mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know get getting into some of these new markets so Um, you know, it's, there, there's a, there's another piece of it too. That's kind of exciting is I've reached a point where I've, I've done pretty well for myself and the idea of, of helping other investors who want to put their money to work to achieve their goals. I think that's going to be rewarding too, that if a project does really well, that there's, you know, it's all those limited partners that come in that can then uh, improve their lives through their investment as well. And if I can be a part of that, I think I'll find that very rewarding.
1: Okay, that's awesome. So, so scalability is important and uh, you think of uh, helping others as well to, to make money, right? especially I think other investors or other GPs who need your skills, I would say,
2: right? So Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, and it's been it. You know, it's that's one of the things that's great too. Is I've found that meeting these other people that are doing it is I've got a different experience. So just like I'm learning from people like you, you know, I'm, I'm finding that partners I, I can bring some different perspectives and, and and value to the table as well. So you always want to partner with people that have strengths in the area that are different from you, and, and that's what makes a strong team.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially in commercial real estate, right? Because the number of knobs that you can you can tune, right? It's so many knobs, right? Uh, yeah. And especially like in multifamily because it's very, very management intensive compared to the triple net, uh, you know, other commercial properties, right? Multifamily is a lot yeah. of management incentive in, yeah, intensive and uh, it gives a lot of ways to make more money or to scale down or to scale up, or even though, you know, you have, be, you have to be really, really skilled at that, but it just gives you a lot more opportunity, right? And and the lease is one year term or six months term, you know, you can quickly raise or reduce rents. It gives you a lot more fungibility, I would say, right? So, yeah. And, yeah. and what, I mean, you have like, you have like, as we talked in the beginning, you have like 600 units multifamily and 100 office spaces, yeah. right? So can we go a bit more detail into the office? What kind of office is it? And how did you strategically, you know, balance between the 600 and 100 office? Is it Opportunistically, or you know, what did you see and why did you do it?
2: So I started off with the with the office, and actually, my second property was retail, and uh, you know, so starting on that commercial side was really interesting. I think one of the things it did for me is is really um, emphasize my focus on customer service and customer care with tenants. And when I tried my first multifamily. I think that there were there were differences but there were also a lot of similarities mm-hmm. so the value-add approach that I was taking to officer retail worked just as well with multifamily and our our focus on really taking care of our tenants as as our customers really served us really well in in that area also over time you know as, as recently as say two or three years ago we had reached a point where you know, up to that point, we had been more office and retail. And then about two years ago, I would say we were 50-50. And now we're, we're closer to two-thirds, maybe, maybe even 70% uh, multifamily with the rest commercial in terms of, our, of the makeup of our portfolio. So as time went by, we've really gravitated toward multifamily. And that's our 100% focus right now. Um, I I think the biggest thing is that, there's a number of things we like about multifamily, um, from our experience with commercial, you've always got a little bit more risk because you, you tend to have not, not always, but you, you, you often will have tenants that comprise a disproportionately large percentage of your income. And that can leave you really vulnerable if somebody leaves. So on more than one occasion, we've had a commercial property where someone that Takes up more than half of the space in, in that um, property, leaves unexpectedly. And then you've got, with one tenant leave, leaving, you have a property that is negative cash flow. And if you don't have a portfolio in place to support that, that can be devastating. And it's really not fun, even if you have a portfolio to, to perform it. And then when you go to backfill that space, it's more challenging in, in commercial properties because you oftentimes have to find the exact right tenant for that space, for that location, for the tenant mix in the property, for the configuration of the floor plan. There's a lot of things that, you know, different commercial looking for. If you just adjust the rents up and down or maybe offer some concessions, a lot of times the market doesn't immediately react to that. right, so turning that dial like you do In multifamily you have less control right so if you're looking for a particular type of commercial tenant it could be it's not unusual for us to sit on a vacant space for one two or more years before the right tenant comes along and and fits in and takes that space with multifamily you've got those dials that you can turn and say, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to run a special, we're going to bump rents. we're going to drop rents, And you usually will see a pretty quick reaction from the market to the changes that you make. Um, and that, that is, you know, from my perspective, that's better. You always want to have more control and the ability to adjust with your market adjust, you know, to combat your competition and different things like that. So, um, and frankly, we've enjoyed working with the 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 tenants. you know I, I think there's a there's a perception out there that a lot of people would love to invest in commercial because they think they have this idea that working with white collar tenants would be much better. wouldn't have the problems. but in our experience, they can be more challenging. you know they can be more demanding and, and it's some some sometimes even unreasonable with what what they're looking for. And, um, you don't, you don't usually find that as much with the, with, with the, um, residential tenants and and multifamily, you know, we, we do primarily workforce housing and, you know, the, the people that we deal with are, they're, they're tend to be good down to earth people and, and, and reasonable. So, you know, we, we appreciate that.
1: And when you talk about office, this is the normal office, uh, tenants, I guess, right?
2: Yeah. A full spectrum, mostly professional tenants. We have, um, we've had, we've, we've got, um, plenty of medical tenants. We have lawyers, accountants, uh, um, you know, all types of, we've got not-for-profit offices, um, engineers and architects, you know, pretty, pretty much, pretty much any type of, uh, you know, white collar professionals.
1: Got it. Got it. That's very interesting. So what, when was the aha moment that, hey, I should do multifamily? At what point? Because you were doing focus a lot on office, right? What was that triggering moment where you said, okay, I may need to look at this multifamily?
2: Well, I don't know if there was a specific moment. I, I think it happened gradually over time. And, and you know, as when we had about 50-50 uh, multifamily and, and uh, commercial, you know, I, I think one of the big things was watching the performance of, of the two halves of the portfolio and seeing which which half was performing better. And um, you know, part of it had to do with the types of value-add projects we were finding. And I thought we were better able to execute on the value-adds on the multifamily side. And that portion of our portfolio just kept outperforming the commercial side And I just saw in the market that we're in, I I just saw more opportunity there and I felt like it was a more stable income base. So, you know, I think I think it just happened gradually over time and you kind of tend to, you know, slowly move in the direction that that's performing well and where the needs are in in your marketplace.
1: Got it. Got it. So so all this. The deals that you have done on multifamily, right? So how did you choose? I mean, you. I mean, all these deals are in uh, Upstate New York, is that right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So you may not choose the city because that's where you live, I guess. Right. The area, yep. right? But how did you select the submarket? Okay, this deal is good in this submarket. How? Did, what are the parameters that you looked at uh, when you look at a deal in multifamily?
2: So. Um... You know, we've we've we have a really close familiarity with the subtleties of the market, and so um, it's it's fairly nuanced. Like, there's not there's not one overarching thing. Um, one of the primary drivers of of the market where we are is not that far away is a fairly large military base, mm-hmm. and so um, one of the factors that we look at is while we we definitely welcome military tenants we have shied away from the properties that are closer to the military base and tend to have a really high percentage of military population and that's just because there's so much turnover uh lenders are less excited about lending those properties because they know that long term you know there could be downsizing a base could close you know there's exposure with that so we have we have gravitated within our region to the areas that are maybe um you know, accommodate, you know, we'll have some military, but not be all military. And, um, you know, into the communities where, where people want to live and the, the parts of the city that we feel are strong and, uh, you know, good, safe locations and convenient locations for the major employers in the area.
1: Got it. Got it. And uh, on average right now, what is the price per door in that market? Because I, I never talked to anybody from New York uh, who's buying multifamily. I mean, you are Upstate New York, yeah. not in the New York City, but in general, can you give us some some guideline on price per door or what cap rate yeah. that stabilized deals are being bought right now?
2: Yes, absolutely. So it's a really really wide range. So that, that's what I would say at first. Um, the most recent stabilized property that we purchased, we paid about 60 thousand 60, a door. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there are properties selling in the area, um, you know, 80,000 plus per door. Um, not, not that often, but a lot of the properties we've got, we've per- we've purchased a couple of decent sized properties at auction. We've purchased a lot of distressed properties. The 126 unit that we purchased last year was we paid in the forties per door. Hmm. and uh that's pretty low for this area, actually, but it also the occupancy was uh below sixty percent when we bought it, and it had a lot of deferred maintenance so uh we did we i i do feel like we got a fair deal and a good deal on that because there was so much upside but um you know there was a reason that it was priced that low and so mm-hmm. you, you can come along properties in this area that uh have uh, low price points sometimes even down into the 30s per door um, but they are usually there's a reason why they might be in severe distress and uh, but you know for stabilized properties I think you're you're mostly looking at maybe um, maybe 50 to 70 a door
1: okay okay and say so you say you also mentioned that you're looking at other markets now right and yes why is that and what's your criteria for to look for other markets?
2: So the number one reason is really um, a, a risk management type type of approach where, you know, anybody who's come in and taken a close look at our business. Um, and at one point, even a few years back, I, I had some graduate students come in and they analyzed it and you know everybody said, Hey, you're, you're kind of crazy. You've got all your, all your properties are concentrated right here in this one city. And within, you know, now they're all, you know, within maybe half an hour drive of that city. And there's a lot of risk involved to that, right? So if that if that's if the city, if that city that I focused on starts to decline, or or you know, or say that military base that's not that far away, you know, if they downsize, and then that all affects my portfolio. And and uh, so I've known for a long time that you know it would be wise to diversify geographically, and uh, you know it's it's time to do that. Another factor is frankly, this is not a huge city. It's not a big area that I'm in. And, um, you know, we've got limited opportunities for growth here. You know, there's a limited number of properties that come onto the market. And realistically, it's, it's time for us to, to look to other places. So you know, it's, and, it's a variety of things. So, what are you, so when you're
1: looking at, okay, so now can you, uh, let's say you're looking at a new city, right? Like a city A and city B. Yep. What do you, what do you look for in that city that you think is going to be appealing to you?
2: Well, I, I think, um, there's, there's, uh, a, a variety of different factors. Prob- probably the number one thing that, that makes the city appealing is, is job growth, you know, job creation, you know, being, being, uh, located in, in upstate New York, there, there's really, it's not a strong area for job growth. There, there's, there's, pros and cons to being in a market that's undesirable, right? So mm-hmm. I have less competition, I can buy things at much higher cap rates, and I can get properties to cash flow better if I have less competition and higher cap rates. So, you know, there, there's, there, sometimes you can look at it and say, hey, if you're in a, you're in a market that's less desirable, sometimes you're, you're getting properties at, um, a, at a great deal. And, and that's, there's something to be said for that. But as I look to new markets and I'm, I'm trying to find something where, you know, cap rates haven't dropped too far and that you can get a reasonable return, but that you've got that benefit of, of a healthy growth in population and, and jobs. Um, but, you know, I, I think because I'm looking for geographicity, I'm looking for a market that's going to show more stability. It's on an uptrend. And, um, you know, I just like any other, Place, no matter what market I'm looking at, I, I've realized over time just how critical the specific location with any city is. So, almost any city, you know, has their good parts and their bad parts, and uh, you know, so you you could take any market that you choose and break it down into all different, you know, more and less appealing locations, and uh, so I, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't just. Grow and say, hey, this this one city is great, even though the population is growing. And you and I talked about a property not that long ago that you were familiar with the with the location, mm-hmm. and you you very wisely were like, oh, that's not the right. It might be a good city, but that's not the right part of the city. Correct. correct. Um, so,
1: so um, I mean, you you are sitting in upstate New York. You looked at the entire nation. Can you give us, you know, top three cities that you think that you want to be involved in that you think has a strong growth story?
2: Well, that's kind of a, it's a work in progress for sure. Um, And what I would say is that um, sort of the candidates that I've narrowed it down to, um, the commonality would be, you know, they tend to be the places that people are migrating to. Um, and, and, you know, being, being in upstate New York, where a lot of people are leaving the area, um, I want to look, I want to look toward the places they're going and, you know, and, uh, so primarily in the Southeast, you know, pretty much, um, our candidates are everything from, you know, starting in probably North Carolina, going down to Florida and, uh, you know, all the way over to maybe the, uh, a little bit in Texas. Um, but I, I think. You know, uh, Georgia is, is a is an interesting market that a lot of people are are um, pursuing. Um, I'm I'm partnering on a on a, a project in Kentucky right now, and uh, you know we're looking at North Carolina. Um, and there's and there's some very attractive markets in Florida as well.
1: Got it, got it, got it. So let's uh, before I want to go into the deal level analysis that you do, I wanna I want to quickly ask this question because you know it's very unique to you because you had your own deals and now you're going into syndication right so what do you think your skills needed the skills needed from yourself right when you are having your own deals right where you know you can skip a distribution or whatever happened to the deal is is your own problem right nobody knows about right right that's right so now you're going into syndication right where it involves a lot more people what do you think is a few skills that a syndicator needs that need to be successful in syndication
2: sure i mean um i would say i'll start (laughs) start with one of the big ones which is something that i don't have which is an investor base and and um you know that's a whole job unto itself and um over the years doing what i've been doing and, and getting some acknowledgments for that i you know i had a lot of people approach me over the years and say hey you know uh can i invest and and i i never you know, took them up on that, and 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 now I'm now I'm doing that. But what I've realized is, uh, in getting to know all these folks that are out there, that there's a lot of people who are interested in partnering with me, who already have those investor bases and and have that skill set of managing those investors and and taking care of all aspects of that. So at this point, I'm I'm primarily uh, thinking that I bring more value in the um, weighing in on the underwriting and the, the property and, 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 identifying all the value add opportunities and, 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 and making sure that, you know, people look at it as more than a spreadsheet because there's so much more. And, and I, I, I toured a property last week and was able to uncover you know, quite a few things. The, the, uh, the broker that was there, I, I was one of the last people. They'd had about 40 tours and I came through and identified some significant value-add opportunities that the broker said no one else picked up on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that that's, you know, something I didn't discuss, but I've we've managed all of our own properties that whole time, you know. And so the knowledge that you get from that um, just brings so much better of analysis to a deal to make sure you're vetting it properly. You're not overpaying. You're also uh, not underpaying and that there might be value there that you're not realizing that some of the assumptions that you're making for rent growth are real and can actually be uh, feasible for implementation. And so, you know, those are some of the things that I bring and the experience and um, having the portfolio have make gives lenders a lot of comfort. And so, um, I'm recognizing that, hey, I could focus on my strengths and bring some things to a partnership and take those areas that I don't have and other people might and, and partner up. So, you know, if someone's going to do it on their own, they've got to have a pretty broad skill set. And, and that's a challenge You know, to have the operational knowledge and, and um, you know, that bring that side and also have the people skills and and the investor relationships. It's 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 not easy. I have a lot of respect for people that are doing it all. <laughs> Absolutely. So you are a
1: you are a true operator where you underwrite deals, you understand the operation, and you're you are doing your own asset management, and 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 you are missing the investor base creation side of it, which I think you That's are right. either partnering or slowly building that up. So which is awesome. For me, it's the operators are the top of the food chain, right? Because they are the backbone of the whole deal. They know what's happening in terms of the rents you know, how many percent of rents increase is happening on each unit, how many units are being turned, what is the make ready period? What's the delinquency? You know, what is the uh, idling unit period? There's a lot of parameters in the multifamily operation, which can be optimized. Right. And if you know that very well, your underwriting can be very, very solid, I would say. right.
2: Right. And I I think you, you also bring a reality check. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, the folks that are operating in the syndication space that don't have as much operating experience, it's easy to look at numbers and and assumptions in a spreadsheet. And and it's challenging to actually recognize what that means in terms of the actual human beings who are there um, living in the apartments, what it means for the the contractors and the property managers and whether what you're assuming is even practical or, or could even, you know, you know, I look at a spreadsheet and, you know, I, I'm looking at, and realizing, hey, you know, I, I looked at one today and I told somebody, I'm like, do you understand how much drama will be involved in this? <laughs> you know? And so, If you haven't done that, you don't know. And yeah. uh, and sometimes that translates into, you might need to maybe tone back your rent growth or you might need to say, hey, maybe we implement something like this over time so that we don't have an all out rebellion on our hands. Yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge to bring all those things to the table.
1: Yeah, I've seen people who come to me, you know, first few deals and say, oh, this is all bills paid. I'm just going to change it to tenant paid bills. I said, wow, that's easy, right? Yeah, we can see the value, right? Well, you do not know how much drama you're going to have there, right? And you yeah. might not be able to do that on a, on a specific property or a specific location, right? So, and, and they say they want to do the utility billing, bill, uh, bill back. They want to increase the rent. They want to charge covered parking. They want to do, you know, laundry increase. Yeah. So many things they want to do at the same time. And I can tell you, they don't have the experience actually. And, 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 but the thing is, you know, a lot of people have been making money, right? Even without all the skills, right? And uh, yeah. I always tell, you know, everybody's a champ in a bull market.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But when, rising, rising, uh, rising tide lifts all ships, right?
1: Yeah, correct. So, you know, people may not look at, that scale more in detail or give due consideration to that type of skills where, you know, the operation's important, uh, but I think it's important if you wanna sustain good, good, uh, good rent growth uh, across different market cycles. So coming back to underwriting, right? So right now you're looking at deals. How many percent of deals do you reject immediately by just looking at it?
2: Wow, I would say, Oh, well over ninety
1: percent. Okay, so the ten percent that you have, what do you look for in that ten percent? What do you do? What are the steps that you take to look at that ten percent?
2: You know, I th- I think the very very first thing I do is I I look at the the T twelve. You know, I wanna I, I wanna I wanna start my analysis of a property by looking at actuals, and um, you know, then then I'm gonna I'm gonna base the the current situation and the actuals going to kind of weigh that against my own experience. So, um, you know, how does the how does the the target asking price or the or the whisper price or whatever they have, how does that compare to the actuals? And then based on my experience looking through those actuals, where what do I see that jumps out at me that might create value? And if you want you look down through you know, you know, and start looking at the the comps and and really Piecing together this puzzle about, you know, what what opportunity is really here? Um, is the is is the valuation based on something that's completely unrealistic? You know, how a lot of times that you'll you'll recognize that you know some brokers are way better than others at doing a, a realistic model and, and pro forma, and and that's much appreciated, right? Because you you see too many where they'll say, oh, you know, the 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 labor is going to be whatever, $300 a door. And you know, Hey, that's crazy. Like it should be, you know, 1100 a door or a thousand a door in in that market. And, uh, you know, you'll find out that, well, it's, it's been managed by the owner and they don't track the labor. And, um, but if you, if you see that it's based on the labor is $2,000 a door and you know, Hey, we could get that to 900 realistically and still do a good job of maintaining that property, then you start to see an opportunity. So got it, it, got it, it's, got a, it. it's a combination of running numbers and, and, and logical analysis based on experience is really what I would say it, it uh, boils down to.
1: So on a new market, how would you determine payroll and insurance
2: and property taxes? Because this differs by market. Sure. So all those things are going to vary by market, although many of them will fall within a range. So you're going to say, well, in that market, it's going to tend to be higher or lower. And I will use my best judgment, but if, if it passes a certain level of scrutiny, that's when you want to really get a, a an established uh, reputable local property manager involved who can look at it and say, okay, for this market specifically, these assumptions you've made are realistic or not realistic, or, you know, the same thing goes with uh, construction costs. They could vary. And I I can look at it and say, you know what, I think that new flooring should be this much, but Hey, maybe in that market, you know, flooring is much more expensive or maybe it's a lot cheaper. Right. So, you know, it's going to be within a certain range, but you just need to figure out, you know, how you need to tweak it to get to that market.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. And what do you think is the, I mean, since you are, you are, you have your own property management in your own backyard and now you're looking at, third, I presume you're looking at third partying your property management in in this new market. Is that correct? That's correct. So what would you think is the most important factor to look at that uh, third party property management company?
2: Well, at this point, you know, I I I would say yes. We're relying on third party property managers. We may eventually consider um, expanding into new markets, our operations, but not doing that right now. And evaluating the property managers, it's been a very interesting process. I think you need to look at the full picture. I don't think there's any one thing you can look at. Um, you know, for a project that we're underwriting right now you know, in in evaluating the various property managers, you know, of course we weigh referrals, you know, that's always good, good to hear referrals. But, um, you know, I I think one of the things that's appealing about the property manager that we ended up selecting for this, for this project that we're pursuing is they actually specialize in in the specific type of property that we're looking at. So, you know, they have a, they have a track record and experience, uh, of, you know, nearly 10,000 units that are specifically C-class properties that they've done value add and executed those successfully. And, uh, you know, a, a fair percentage of those are in the specific market that we're looking at. And so there's a lot of things that just lined up. And I, I think the if I had to pick the one thing from my interaction with, with this firm, um, because they toured a proper with, property with me as well, but I actually was very impressed with their analysis of our underwriting. So they actually went through our assumptions and they toured the property on their own before I got there and gave us their own analysis. And without us asking, they also toured the comps and gave us some feedback on that. Um, And I was impressed. You could tell that they went out of their way to, to look at the right things. They looked at the types of things that I would look at and they identified things and, and based on that write-up um i i just said hey th- this is a this is a firm that's experienced they get it they did a thorough job they were professional they were responsive and you know it, it really checked a lot of boxes in terms of giving us a, an overall sense of comfort with the possibility of working with them awesome awesome
1: let's go to a bit more on the value add side right? because i'm you have done a lot of value add because you buy refi and keep it mm-hmm. for long term right so what is the most valuable value at multifamily from your
2: experience i would say that the most valuable is it's different for almost every property um if i had to pick you know i think that sort of the big bang low-hanging fruit tends to be the i'd say clean paint landscape Kind of like the mm-hmm. you know the surface stuff where you know a, a property if a property is dirty and not well kept and and then you make it clean and you um, put a fresh coat of paint and you landscape it uh, it can change the entire image of a property at a fairly modest cost and that can that can have a huge impact you know rent, the rent adjustment is sort of obvious you know I think everybody looks at that I think my um, one thing that um and i and i guess big picture if 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 the landlords char way undercharging of course you know that's an obvious big uh, easy one but um one thing that we've ended up doing in, in a number a number of cases that is less obvious that people almost never talk about is lowering rents and in the 126 unit that i mentioned earlier that that's under distress that's the first thing that we did is we went in and by our assessment they were trying to charge too much which was a major factor in why the occupancy was so low so we immediately went in and cut all the rents and that might seem counterintuitive for a value-add person but you know over the last six months we've raised the occupancy 25 percent. and one of the big reasons is we lowered the rents and so the net the net change in terms of the net operating inf- income of that property, it's skyrocketed by lowering rents. So, um, you know, that also further demonstrates that it, it really varies, you know, you, you kind of have to, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, if you look at five different people and say, you know, um, what, what change would you make in each person to improve their overall wellness? Um, you know, for some people, they might say, stop smoking. And some people <laughs> they might say, well, that one needs to eat better. And, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> you know, you can't, can't kind of really say, well, what's the one thing overall it's, it's specific. Yeah. So how did you decide to lower the rent? What was the data that you looked at and decided? okay, I just need to re- reduce the rent here. Well, you know that's one of the fantastic things when you've got so many properties in one market. You know immediately that based on your other operations, that something's off. You know when it's low. You know when it's high. You know when the fees don't match what's what's present in that market, or the concessions don't match, or um, it, it it becomes very simple. If you're going into a new market, you know you you just you've got to study those comps and do the best you can, and and hopefully tour those comps and um, do your own homework. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of many advantages of having a concentration of properties in one area. And in addition to all the many, many operational efficiencies that you can, you can have is that you have that market specific knowledge that is, there's no substitute for.
1: Got it. Got it. So when you decide to lower the rent, was your thought, I mean, it is a counterintuitive, even, even, but I think it makes sense in value-add, especially when you go with that kind of low occupancy, you, you need to do something to bring up the occupancy. Because once you bring up the occupancy, you can do a lot of other things, I guess. Exactly. But you can't do it when the occupancy is low and you're adamant about pushing up the rent. So what's your thought process, rather than I leave these units vacant, that's the biggest loss compared to giving, uh, you know, compared to yes. $25 or $30 increase, right? That doesn't that's make right. sense.
2: That's right. So, you know, that, that's been one of the strategies that, that I've adhered to and has worked well is you lower the rents and lease it up and then you, you make improvements as you go and then you raise rents from there. Um, okay. there's nothing more expensive than vacant space. Yeah. And so um, that is, you know, the other, the other piece of that, which is an advantage of not syndicating is that I have been able in many cases to fund many of the improvements out of cash flow. So mm-hmm. with this particular property, you know we did lower the rents, but the occupancy has been brought way up. So we've just crossed a threshold where now this property is cash flowing again. and all that cash flow is going to write, going to be directed right back into making improvements, probably for the next few years at least. And so, you know, that that's a that's a perfect example of, well, if you're if you're going to syndicate and you need to you need to pay investors, you really can't be investing all of your cash flow back into a property. Um, so what do you need to do? You need to raise the money up front to pay for those improvements and not count on cash flow so that you can you can achieve your investor returns and get start to get them their money back. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's where one thing different with syndicated deal versus uh, owning your own deal right because owning exactly own, you don't have to raise so much money so so you Same. can take your cash flow and just put it back right whereas syndication you're exactly. up front and you may you may lose deals because of you're competing with somebody who has a lot of money versus somebody who's syndication right syndicating yeah right? so that's right that's right it's very interesting so in terms of going to your more personal side, right? So Mm -hmm. is there a proud moment in your life or not in your life, in your throughout your real estate career that you think I really, I will remember that moment for my, throughout my life until the end. Can you describe that moment?
2: (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, You know, there's, there's been so many moments, but not all good. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, the the proudest moment where you Um, think you really made a big impact on, yeah. Something. You no. Know, um. I think you know. I never really expected this, but um, some of the proudest moments that I've had have been since my book came out, and uh, I I would have never guessed that that would lead to that. But um, the the some of the feedback that I've gotten from readers that. You know, have shared with me that it's changed their lives, that they started into investing and have already built portfolios. And um, to see the direct link between the book and people, you know, really making improvements in their lives has been extremely rewarding. Um, So I I think one of the great things is that I, I really went into the idea of writing the book. Um, just because I wanted to share what I've learned, you know, the, 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 mistakes I've made and, and to help other people, but I never really thought that it would sell very many copies or that, that people would, ha- it would have that kind of effect. And the, the fact that it did, when I get a letter or a note from somebody, it's, it's been, you know, it's been extremely rewarding. So, you know, I I kind of remember that. I think that's been a big impact.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I get a lot of notes from my books as well. And sometimes I I know sometimes you don't really take it seriously because for us, it's just common knowledge from what we have learned, but you know, some notes do make us think, Oh, I really, really made an impact on someone. Right. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 it's mind blowing on how much uh, lives can be changed with the things that you share, you know, in a book.
2: Right. 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 Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So the next second question is, why do you do what you're doing?
2: Well, um, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, actually in, in the book I share at one point, um, this was a few years back. I, I had somebody come up to me and they said, you know, how much is enough? Like, why, why are you, you know, you know, you just, are you so greedy? Like, why are you, you know, why do you keep going? And, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I just realized that that this person doesn't understand, like they missed the whole point that, you know, it, it's just, it's rewarding. Like it's rewarding to take a property that's not performing, that's in distress. That's maybe even a bad thing in a community and to turn it around and, and make it a better place for people to live. You help the tenants and you help the community and um, you know, it to do that and and um, you know, start to get involved. Like I, I do meetups now and I mentor people and 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 through those in the book to help other investors. And so, you know, I I look forward to going to work every day. I know, I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the challenge of um finding and 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 executing on on you know, properties that aren't achieving up to their potential and, you know, making a better place for people to live and, and more profitable at the same time. So um, I just think it's fun. Like I, I enjoy what I do. Yeah. It's like a discovery, right? You're trying to discover this from your paper
1: to the real stuff, I guess. Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting when you're under, especially when you're an underwriter, because you're assuming a lot of things. Yeah. Right? And absolutely. how does, how does that whole assumption becomes reality? You know, it's very interesting to see the output of that and become impacting people's life, which is, which is huge. Absolutely. So we really had a really good, uh, knowledge bomb from you, Brian. So can you tell our listeners and audience, uh, how to get hold of you?
2: Sure. Um, You know, your, your listeners can find me on, uh, on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you can find the book on amazon.com and, uh, the, or or on the book website is crushing info And, um, my company's website is Washington street, uh, properties.com. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if anybody is interested in reaching out, I'd be glad to hear from them. So.
1: Awesome, Brian. Thank you for coming and joining us. I think that's it. Thank you.
2: Thanks, James. It was an
1: honor.
0: That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com. Forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for multifamily investors group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.